Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Hey everybody, I trust this little talk finds you at least in some reasonable level of health in mind, body and spirit. Uh, special prayers uh, we send out to those who maybe could do with, uh, let's call it a little touch from heaven in terms of their physical condition to Kate and to Stuart and to Debbie and to Jean and to and to Mavis and I'm sure many more of you we send our love and prayers and uh, uh, trust that you will receive a, um, a special, a special impartation and upsurge of health and strength at this time. It was also a very, very sad week for me last week as I'm sure it was particularly for Alison as we said goodbye to Betty, who's been a loyal and faithful servant uh, to to the many guises of of, uh, of our church from Rock through to Q, um, and uh, we will miss her. Anyway, I want to talk to you today, um, and the 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 title of my talk being, "You can't do that. It's Saturday." Um. The religious spirit is a vile curse that has blighted all humanity since the beginning of time. I smell that spirit so bad right now that, oh, I don't even know what phrase to use. I mean, it irritates me, it troubles me, uh, it concerns me, it riles me. Uh, some might say it brings out the best in me, others might say it brings out the worst in me, but I hate the religious spirit. Now, now there's a great example of this in the continuation of the story I brought to you last time. And in it we had a man who, who, who had just got free after 38 years of being stuck. And you would think the de delight of those who witnessed his unstuckness would be uh, irrepressible. Uh, and the, 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 the pleasure that he had after 38 years understood that he needed to take back the power of his own story from the hands of others. Uh, and, uh, and in doing that, he was now for the first time in all these years, having been so dependent on the conditioning that had occurred because of those years was now free. Um, you, you would think that would be the response and should be the response. But here's a bit more of the story from John chapter five. Then Jesus said to him, pick up your mat and walk. Brilliant. At once the man was cured, picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath or Saturday to us. And so the Jews, said to the man who had been healed, not this is fantastic, just amazing. After 38 years, how wonderful. No, they said, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. Or in our terms, you can't do that. 
It's Saturday. How absurd that this man who had been through all this stuff and had now found his point of deliverance was now being being opposed and burdened with the idea that somehow because it was flipping Saturday that he could not express the freedom that he had come into. Now religion always does that to people. It can never delight with you in your freedom because your freedom breaks its hold, its power over you. And so you will always find in, 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 in this context that, you know, for wherever you're raised and whatever you've been raised in, one of the ways it occurs, particularly in Paul's writings in the New Testament, is the battle between law and grace. The grace that says we don't care if it's Saturday, we don't care if it's in church, out of church, we don't even care if this occurred in a brothel, which bear in mind is the whole story of the Jericho experience of freedom. We don't care. This is amazing. This is wonderful. But no, legalistic, institutionalized religious thinking will always seek to suppress that situation back into a position of control. Because the truth is, after 38 years, 48 years, 58 years, the religious spirit never wants you to find the freedom that will allow you to be fully human and engage with your situation in the reality of the freedom that is supposed to come from the Christ experience. You can't do that, it's Saturday. How utterly absurd. See, religious fervency and fervent religiosity always carry with them a level of a level of absurdity that defies the logic of reasonable rationality. That religious spirit is like oil. It gets everywhere. See, religious fervency is not the sole possession of the groups you would automatically think of, i.e. churches or mosques or shrines but it expands to include anything that incorporates the procedures and strategies associated with religions. And I fear that we are in such a time right now and it has nothing to do with religion per se, but it stinks of religion. I have found the current situation very, very difficult to deal with, not because I am a denier of what is happening, but because of the way that it has been approached, it looks so much like the fundamental religious approach that I have had to deal with all my life, that it makes me wary, it makes me suspicious. And I don't like it because it's a bit like what we've just read in that story. You can't do that. It's Saturday. Okay, well, why can't I do that on Saturday? Well, it's the Sabbath, but why should the Sabbath not allow me to do this. And so there is no real justification for the decision that has been made in the way it's been made and the way it is being applied. Now, one could argue that the whole Sabbath day principle, the Saturday principle, was a Jewish principle from the beginning. Yes, but what had happened is over the years, what was meant to be a rest for blessing so that you can work from rest 
had become an imposition of a legal requirement that was about verifying and justifying uh, your own spiritual entitlement, your own spiritual position, um, your superiority to others. I hate it. But I fear that right now, this is, this is what bugs me and I, I need to speak a little bit across barriers here because as I've struggled to find what it is I want to say to you for the last uh, week and a half, it has been very difficult because there is spiritual truth. There are nice things that I could say to you, lovely things I could say to you. But uh, what came into my mind was the phrase that f Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And that phrase has been used to talk about those who just get on with all the niceties of what they like to do, while in the meantime, Rome is burning to the ground. And I don't want to be guilty in this situation of being a Nero. See, inevitably, um, these systems, religious systems, uh, are adopted not just by church belief faith communities but they are adopted by governments they're adopted by empires and if you study history you will see the same principle applies you may not have the same name for god you may not have the same the same um uh, uh methods and processes and uh and uh but what you have is the same spirit and, and inevitably, these systems only ever take away, control, manipulate, and destroy. How do you spot, first of all, when a religious spirit has gripped the process that is being brought to you because it only takes away, it controls, it manipulates, and it destroys? And its field of view becomes too narrow. If there's one criticism that rightfully um, atheism would level Christianity is its field of view is too narrow that's when Christianity becomes religious in its context rather than rather than spiritually faithful to its call within humanity these systems take away control manipulate and destroy and fear becomes the greatest weapon that is a great alert to me and I react very badly to anything that is sought to be imposed upon me that relies upon fear as its primary root of application. Fear becomes the greatest weapon. Curse becomes their consequence. You know, if you don't do what we say, you will be cursed. This is what will happen. And one way of salvation becomes their gospel. This is the only way that we can get free of this. And obedience becomes their demand. You must obey what it is that you are being told. Otherwise, that curse that we told you of will come upon you. Uh, and so you need to be afraid. Worship becomes their expectation. <clears throat> you should realise what we're doing for you is so amazing and you should worship us. Can you see how the crossover between, between quote, church religious belief systems and, and anywhere where this <clears throat> religious spirit takes its grip and inerrancy and infallibility become their claims so from from my field from a christian perspective it has been the inerrancy and infallibility of scripture from a catholic perspective it it that ha related to papal authority 
um, which was a very much a distortion of the role of leadership. And the Protestants' response to papal authority was inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. Some of you don't know that, but you ought to, and it's time you did, and it's time your ears pricked up and your heart started to pay attention so that you can put some questions against this. And then any failure becomes your fault, not theirs. You know, I've lived with that and look, if this doesn't work, if what we're preaching to you doesn't work, it's not our fault. It's your fault. You must have failed. To you, you Christ followers out there, you will have been told you, you didn't have enough faith. You weren't holy enough. Uh, you didn't you didn't serve the Lord enough. You didn't pray enough. In the context of governments and empires and systems, uh, it becomes it becomes. Look, you know, if this failed, it's because you didn't obey the rules. You know, you you didn't listen to us. And and I'm going to be a little provocative here because it irritates me. You know, you didn't listen to the science. Well, hey, I know enough from religious study, and uh, and and study and history within that, that whenever anybody says the, we're in trouble. That's the inerrancy and infallibility, the. There is no such a thing in life as a the. Even science doesn't have a the, because we find just when we thought this is the way that that works, we find it takes us beyond and outside of the boundaries. And we must always, do I, do I believe in science? Do I also believe in scripture? I believe there is a, a writ and writings that carry within them uh, something that is not earthly, it has a touch on it that the wisdom in it is just incredible, cosmic. But, but when they get out of place, you see, it becomes any failure becomes your fault and never theirs. And it's all done in the name of love. We're doing this because we care. Uh, I've heard that. I'm not sure it's entirely true. I think most of the time it's being done because that's the only way we can exert this power over you. See, religion always removes the right of the individual to make their own decision. That's where you can tell even the difference between what is a pure, uh, unpolluted spiritual journey or call to a spiritual journey and, and what is a cry for you to come into an institutional system? Because religion removes the right of the individual to make their own decision. And then doctrine becomes dogma. And reaction replaces reason. And facts become massage to support the text. Again, I, I'm, I consider myself a little bit of an expert on this. At 64 years of age, I have watched in my personal field how facts become massaged to support the text and once your eyes are open you think huh you you just that doesn't work you can't put that together and so what's one of the things that concerns me at the moment with the reduction of our liberties and so many things that that challenge me about the religious spirit on this thing is that facts become massaged to support the text and the denominations one way becomes the only way. Okay, are you tracking with me? Do you get this? And then fear replaces freedom with repress, repressed compliance. And just like the ban by the pool of Bethesda, which was a place of conflict, if you remember, between 
um, grace and disgrace. Uh, you you have this situation where where we become conditioned. Why was the man there for thirty eight long years? Because he became conditioned. Because he felt he had no one to get him into the water when it was troubled. This was the legend. If you got in the water when it was troubled by an angel, this was an amazing legend that's talked about there. Then you would be, he'll be said, I have no one to get me in the water. The power of his story had been given away. Fear of replaced freedom with a replaced compliance. And he had become, that's what the 38 years is telling us, he had become conditioned to a situation that actually he could have resolved potentially in another way if he was just willing to get up, take up his bed and walk. What troubles me in all of this, I guess, and it might be partly to do with my personality, is the level of acceptance. Uh, because in that we are without doubt seeing the erosion of civil liberties. And of course that affects me in my arena of, uh, of church life and being a, being a minister. Um, and, and it feels to me like we're back to the Latin Bible principle. Now you might say, what's the Latin Bible principle? Well, back in the days of Martin Luther, pre-Martin Luther, uh, the Bible was only permitted to be printed in Latin and it was only, it was only permitted for priests to read the Latin Bible to the people in Latin, even though the people didn't speak Latin, because Latin was the language of the educated. But of course, if you were reading it to them in Latin, you could tell them pretty much anything. You could interpret it uh, through whatever lens you wished, because they were not given access to the text itself that you were supposedly talking about and that you were applying in a certain way. Now, of course, part of the part of the uh, Reformation and Protestantism uh, emerged in the printing of scripture into the language of the people who would read it. Of course, uh, that was not um, that that didn't go down well, particularly with the Catholic Church that had become so empirical, the Roman Roman Catholic empirical process, papal authority, did not go down well with them because it meant that you or I or anybody uh, would then, if they could read, would be able to read the text in their own language or have it read to them in their own language to where they could then exert the freedom of their own choice and their own minds to bring some understanding to the information that they were being given. But it feels to me like we're back in there where there is not a clarity being given to people so that we as a society might move forward uh, with the knowledge that I believe we actually deserve and should have. And of course, even prior to that, you had within the church as hierarchical system, the horrors of the Inquisition, where um, groups were sent out to find those, the inquisitors, to find those who were not loyal and faithful to the Catholic faith. And then, you know, you know how that turned out. And so we had the excommunication of heretics. And in those days, the burning of them, if possible. And I have no doubt that some people right now, today, in our present world, would happily burn heretics at the stake 
if it was legal and permitted to do so. Such is the level of feelings. Now, you can see how that bothers me because I feel, again, we're back in the religious spirit situation where anything that does not say what the authority wants to say is, is deemed as heretical. And these days you are excommunicated, burned at the stake. This is not healthy. This is not good. Now, I'm not saying I have all the answers to everything that we face. But what I'm saying is the religious spirit can only ever leave in its wake something that all of us will despise and hate because it can never bring a situation of love and unity and togetherness. Now, back in February, before we found ourselves in the current situation, we were, as we always were, I think, at Q, somewhat prophetic in what we were talking about because we talked about Jesus the subversive. I'm totally convinced that the majority of those supposedly bearing his name would not have liked the real Jesus. His propensity to disturb the status quo, challenge the accepted norms and kill sacred cows was unacceptable to all those secure in the familiarity of accepted norms. Now I'll tell you something, I will not as the leader of Q in York, I will not allow the church I lead to become the equivalent of a drug addict's crack house. And let me tell you what I mean by that. People go to the crack house for one purpose, to get high. And that is not what this Christ thing is supposed to be to us, for us, or for the world. But unfortunately, much, particularly of the realm of church life that I have been involved in, has become that. It's about turning up to the spiritual crack house to get high, to have a good time, to feel warm, bubbly feelings, and then to go out, try and get some other people addicted in the same way. Well, I think that the Christ thing is bigger than that. So I just wanted you to know that about me and Q. See, anyone who has affected the course of history to the degree Jesus has should be considered by all of us. Incredible, incredible character. And one cannot deny that in his lifetime, Jesus started out more popular than he finished up. I wonder why. Because the more he challenged the religious spirit, the more he went against the flow, the more he said there's another way of seeing things, the more he said you're interpreting this in a way that is repressive and destructive rather than life-giving, the more that happened, the more people couldn't hang with him because it did not fit within the bounds of the comfortable, secure place of familiarity and conditioning that they were in. Listen, I'm not into that kind of religion. I'm not into that kind of spirituality. I'm not into that kind of, quote, Christianity. And why was it that felt like that? Well, he, he seemingly possessed a gift for upsetting the established order of things. Uh, some of you probably don't see that as a gift and don't see that as a gift in me. The prob you probably see that as an error and a flaw and a fault in the makeup of Anth. Who have you become? What the heck has all this become in you? But I, I make no apologies for having found that spirit, that Christ spirit is the opposite to the religious spirit and, and actually works in opposition to it, not in partnership with it. Now, the problem is that institutionalized religion tries to take the Christ spirit and marry it to the religious spirit and think that the two are compatible. They are not. What you finish up with is a religion that ultimately brings repression and control, not freedom and life. 
So doing and saying things, Jesus, Jesus challenged the established order of things, doing and saying things in a way that mostly religion and occasionally government found subversive. Now subversion comes from the Latin subvertere, which means to overthrow. It refers to a process by which the values and principles of a system in place are contradicted or reversed in an attempt to transform the established social order and its structures of power, authority, hierarchy and social norms. Subversion is the opposite of conforming. Like Rosa Parks during the civil rights movement in America, Jesus took a seat on the bus where the rules said he wasn't supposed to sit and refused to move and he's still the same. And I think that's what attracts me to this Christ spirit and why I feel the need to say what I'm saying today. So I've said many times, it is impossible to change the future without disturbing the present. Now, I know some could reinterpret that and say, well, what the disturbance at the moment is changing the future. But yeah, we're talking about changing the future where life and freedom and liberty and all these things are still preserved. Do I believe that Jesus was the son of God? Do I believe he was the savior of the world? The answer to that is yes. Yet possibly the greatest legacy he gave us as sons of men was to live life outside the lines that religion and systems have drawn for us, driven by love and not hate, by peace, not violence, by knowledge, not ignorance, by accepting, not rejecting, but all the time living life outside of those lines. There can be no doubt, nor would it be an exaggeration to say that Jesus was hated by church and provincial government. Why? Because he questioned and challenged the established order over its presumption of its grasp on truth. And I am wanting to and willing to do the same today. You have to be a heretic in the eyes of the powers that be in order to be subversive in a way that changes the familiar and the comfortable and the status quo. So I'm looking for a bunch of heretics who will stand shoulder to shoulder with me and with the spirit of the Christ against the stupidity of you can't do that. It's Saturday. See, Jesus introduces us always to another way of seeing things. So why have we coined the phrase, we would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned? Because it helps us get outside the lines in the way that we see things. Now, there's an interesting verse in the book of Hebrews. It's in chapter 13 and verse 13 that I want to leave you with as I just go to my last statement here. Here's what it says. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. Now, this, this has a very Jewish cultural specific application to it, but it also transfers to our current cultural ideas and idealism. And it's the idea of getting outside the lines. If you are going to challenge what ultimately does not bring long lasting life to society, you're gonna to have to go with him outside the camp or to him. I like that, let us go to him. It's a leaving to go to that Christ spirit that's outside the lines, bearing the disgrace he bore because you will, because whenever you refuse to hold the status quo, you will unfortunately be called a heretic. So Q, 
getting to know who we are at Q. I, I suppose some of my disappointment has been, I'm not sure uh, that many of you have understood in the slightest what we're really about or who I really am a, as a person and what's driving me. A bit like Jesus once said, have you been with me so long and you still don't, you still don't know me? I've been dubbed the kilt lifter from the movie Braveheart for over 20 years. And uh, my favourite scene probably in that is the one where the Scots are lined up on the battlefield looking across the field at a, 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 a much larger, greatly outnumbered, uh, a much larger force, they're greatly outnumbered by the English army that they face in, in so many ways, even in, in, in weaponry and, and training and so much. And uh, the English demand a surrender from Wallace. And uh, Wallace sends them a very clear message as he rides back to those ramshackle bunch of Scots who have to make a decision about the repression um, that they're feeling and that they're under. And uh, there's the classic scene in there where the Scots, which you find out what they wear under their kilt, they lift their kilts and both back and front display to the English what they think about the continuance of the bondage and captivity that they have been under and are and is being imposed upon them. Now don't anybody say I'm telling you to break the rules on this. What I'm saying to you is it's about that religious spirit. And so, so that's my favourite scene. Now, please, please don't be embarrassed, but this sums up the spirit of Q and it sums up my spirit. And for me, what it means to, uh, what, to follow and live by the spirit of the radical, revolutionary, subversive, loving, transforming Christ that I see in Jesus. And by God's grace, I will not lower my kilt. And so let me finish with the movie, from the movie, the, 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 um, speech that Wallace, William Wallace, gives to those Scots who are now somewhat fearful, uh, feel the threat, uh, have some expectation that they may not be able to win. But this is what Wallace says to them, I fight and you may die, run and you'll live, at least a while, and dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. I reject, you can't do that, it's Saturday. And I ask you to stand with me that somehow we find what it takes to always pull down that horrendous religious spirit that has troubled humanity from the beginning of time, in all eras, through all systems, and that we can be part of the solution and not the problem. I love you guys. I'll catch you again. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. 
We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.